Grace, mercy, and peace from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Text for this morning, the gospel lesson that Pastor Elliot has just read from us for us from Luke chapter 9. Well, all of this started seven weeks ago. The Holy Spirit descended on Jesus and the voice of the Father was heard, You are my Son, in whom I am well pleased. Witness the wonder concludes today on the top of a mountain a cloud surrounding Peter James and John and the voice of God rings out again this is my son the chosen one listen to him now in both Matthew and Mark's account of the events recorded in our text by Luke both of them use a very powerful picture word it's the word metamorphosis to describe what happened to Jesus. Now you all know that word from your grade school science class, right? That's what happens to a butterfly when they make their cocoon and then they emerge a fully developed adult ready to fly. Metamorphosis as a verb is used only two other places in the New Testament by another one of Jesus' followers named Paul. The first one In his letter to the Roman Christians, Paul wrote these words, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, be metamorphosed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Do not be conformed, but transformed, be metamorphosed by the renewing of your mind. And then again, Paul uses it in his second letter to the church of Corinth where he wrote these words, and we all with unveiled faces beholding the glory of the Lord are being, there it is again, transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Beholding the glory of Jesus, we are being metamorphosed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. So on this, the concluding day of Epiphany, I invite you to come and to witness, behold the wonder of Jesus' glory and be transformed more and more into his likeness. Now before we go up the mountain with Jesus and Peter and James and John, it's important for us to step back and to witness what had happened leading up to this event. Jesus had just fed a crowd of 5,000 people with a few small fish, a couple of loaves of, fall, loaves of bread and a couple of fish, and, and the disciples had gathered up 12 basketful of leftovers. And then... Jesus had posed the defining question of the Christian faith. Who do you say I am? Well, that's the question that every one of us answers moment by moment every day in our lives by the words that we use, by the thoughts and the attitudes we form, and by our actions. Who do you say Jesus is? And Peter answered for us all, the Christ 
of God, the Messiah, the the Savior of the world, the chosen one, chosen by God to rescue us, to rescue the entire human race, to rescue creation itself from the broken mess that we are trapped in. And it's it's the right answer. And if Christianity were only a written test, then we have all just scored 100 on the Doctrine of Christ quiz. But Christianity is a lifetime of taking the truth of who Jesus is and working it down into the core of your being until we are transformed until we are metamorphosed more and more into his likeness. Look, after the first disciples correctly identified Jesus as the Christ, the chosen one, Jesus then announced that he was going to go up to Jerusalem where he would be arrested and killed, rejected by the chief priest and the leaders of the people, that he would then on the third day rise again from the dead. And then, as if that wasn't troubling enough, Jesus went on and said, anyone who would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. And now we go up to the top of the mountain. And with all of that that I just told you in the background, Jesus takes three disciples who will bear witness to the other nine and then to the world and finally also to us so that Jesus can become more than simply a right answer on the religion test. Here before Peter, James, and John, the whole Old Testament unfolds in the person of Moses and Elijah. Now Moses had begun his service to the Lord on another mountain at a very different time when he was called by God to lead the people of God out of slavery in Egypt, which he did. And then he led the people of God back to that same mountain and God's glory presence descended in a cloud and there was lightning and there was thunder. It was a presence so powerful that if anyone even touched the mountain, they would die. And yet Moses had gone up into the cloud and he had received God's word to deliver to the people. And you heard the ending of Moses' story in the Old Testament lesson for today. It was several hundred years later that Elijah was proclaiming that word of God to the people of his day who had turned away from God and were messing around with a false god of the culture that they lived in called Baal. And perhaps you remember that dramatic scene on the mountainside once again where Elijah had defeated 400 prophets of Baal in a contest that revealed once and for all that the only true God is the creator God of the universe. And then Elijah had to run for his life. And he wound up, he wound up in a cave all by himself on yet another mountain. 
And God caused a hurricane-forced wind, and then an all-consuming fire, and then a rock-shattering earthquake. Before he spoke to Elijah in a whisper and promised him that he was not alone and that God's plan of salvation was still on track. And so we read that Jesus, Moses, and Elijah spoke together of Jesus' departure which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now, you can't see it in the English translation, but the word departure in the original Greek language is the word exodus. Moses had led the exodus of the people of God out of slavery and oppression to a nation But folks, that was only a preview of what was about to happen because Jesus' exodus from this world would accomplish our rescue from slavery and the oppression of sin and death and the devil itself. The message is clear. God's plan is on track. That's what Peter and James and John witnessed. And shockingly, all of the power of this magnificent, majestic creator God is not shining on Jesus. It is shining out from Jesus, penetrating even the clothes he is wearing. Because yes, Jesus is the chosen one, the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. But he is more than just a man. Jesus is none other than the second person of the Holy Spirit triune God hidden away in the still small voice of Jesus of Nazareth. Now we've been working for several months on a new mission statement for St. Luke's and you're going to hear all about that later in the fall but but I couldn't resist this verse begs me to leak it to you this morning a mission statement is to be a short memorable sentence that helps people understand and remember why we are here and so this new mission statement reads awakening hearts in every generation to the power of life in Christ. (laughs) Awakening hearts in every generation to the power of life in Christ. Now look, the disciples were heavy with sleep, but then they became fully awake. And fully awake followers is what Jesus is after in all of us. And when they were fully awake, you know what they saw? They saw Jesus' glory. Another follower of Jesus named John wrote in his account of Jesus' life, we have seen his glory full of grace and truth. That glory will now be supremely revealed to the world on the cross. And from this mountaintop of the transfiguration, we will this week walk down into the valley of the shadow of death with Jesus as we celebrate Ash Wednesday and the beginning of Lent where we will sing the song in the cross of Christ, I glory. Look, life is exhausting. 
these three disciples, these same three disciples, they're going to nod off again. In the Garden of Gethsemane, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, when he began to experience the pressing weight of the world's sin closing in on him. Who do you say Jesus is? Well, he's the Christ. He's the chosen one. He's the Messiah. He's the Savior of the world. What has he done? He lived the perfect life that you were all supposed to live, and so was I, but haven't. He trusted, he obeyed the Heavenly Father perfectly. And then he laid down his perfect life on the cross so that now all our sins are forgiven because of who Jesus is and what he has done. God now finds you an absolute delight. True or false? True. But then why, why does criticism still bug you? <laughs> why are you so anxious? Why do you have secret addictive habits? Why do you always feel like you need to prove things to people? <laughs> why do you get so irritable why are you sometimes so harsh look it's because you get heavy with sleep in your faith life here's what the transfiguration means for us practically as we come together today here are four ways for you to use the transfiguration every week to wake up to the power of life in Christ. To wake up to the real presence of Jesus that will metamorphose you more and more into his likeness. First, through regular, and by that I mean weekly, participation in worship hearing the word of God being proclaimed and explained and applied and receiving in with and under the bread and wine the very body and blood of Jesus in the Lord's Supper look you know how how some medications that doctors prescribe you have to take them regularly and consistently sometimes for four to six weeks before they actually build up in your system and you begin to feel relief from your symptoms well the Holy Spirit is like that you cannot wait until you are really sick and then pop a couple of Jesus pills one Sunday and expect to feel better Jesus must accumulate in your system as you worship and as you attend Bible studies and as you talk with other believers about your faith and what you're experiencing in your everyday life and how your faith is expressing itself in those experiences. Secondly, waking up to the real presence of Jesus is not a solo act 
Look, I know that our culture has become this hyper-individualistic right-to-privacy approach to life. But if you're going to experience the power of life in Christ, it has to be done in relationship with others. I, I am thankful and I know that online worship has been and is and will continue to be a huge blessing. And I am thankful for it. But people, part of the power of life in Christ comes from being together. And not just in worship, but in some smaller gatherings of believers as well. Let me be as practical as I can. You need somebody who is ahead of you. You need somebody who knows more about Jesus than you, has seen more of Jesus than you. Secondly, you need somebody behind you. One of the great things is that you think you understand until somebody doesn't get it and asks you to explain it and then you realize you don't really get it either and as you grope around for answers it becomes more clear to you. You need somebody ahead of you, you need somebody behind you and you need somebody pretty different than you. You need somebody perhaps of a different race or of a different culture or maybe a different political party. Somebody that's really other than you, who loves Jesus and is after Jesus, who can help you see Jesus from a different perspective. Participate regularly and consistently. Be in relationship with other believers. Thirdly, and this one you can do all by yourself. Remind yourself every morning when you get up and every night before you go to sleep exactly who you are in Christ. Because in Christ, through faith in Jesus, the voice of the Father says, you are my beloved son, my beloved daughter, in whom I am well pleased. I don't know, maybe you should do it in the shower every morning when you get up. And every time you wash your hands and you feel that water and you say in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and you remember your baptism where you were born again and supernaturally united with Jesus and then head out into the day saying something like today I am who God says I am. I am no more than that but never ever am I any less than that. Participate weekly, be in relationship with other believers regularly, remember who you are in Christ daily, and finally, listen to Jesus. Obey his teaching. Hour by hour, minute by minute, the Father's words ring loud and clear. This is my son, my chosen, my chosen one. Listen to him. Now listening, not just to pass the doctrine of Jesus quiz, but to be transformed into the likeness in your thoughts and attitudes, in your words, and in your actions. What does that look like? Well, I won't re-preach last Sunday's sermon to you, thank you very much. But you can go check it out. 
Here was the heart of it. What Jesus is calling for is that you become so confident and so content in your identity in him that you can truly and intelligently contemplate what is in the best interest of other people. Remember I told you last week one of my favorite preacher calls it cosmic poise. It's about knowing Jesus and having what he did for you on the cross poured into you and being so deeply and profoundly impacted by that that you can take the risk of not being simplistic about life in this fallen, broken world, simply retaliating or simply surrendering, but learning how to be wise. Witness the wonder of his glory and now Go discover the thrill of cosmic poise. Amen. The peace that passes all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in this true faith. Unto life everlasting. Amen.